Simplify. I don't know about you, but my life could use a little bit of it. I don't know, like as you look at this next year, um, what's going on in your life again? My name is John, I'm the campus pastor here at the Center Church, and I'm really thankful you're here. If you're watching online, hi, we're so glad to see you. And uh, one of the things I think is interesting is this question, and I've reflected on it a few different times, so maybe you have at some different points in your life. It's this simple question, do I or do we have too much stuff? Now, immediately your brain goes to, oh yeah, my garage, you should see it. Oh yeah, my closet, you should definitely see it. Like, there's probably all these areas in your life or maybe even your house or your car that you just kind of put the stuff that is too much or you put the stuff you don't really need or use and every time you move, it ends up moving with you and you're like, I don't know why I still have this random thing from 1985, but I do and I'm gonna keep moving with it until I don't need it anymore. Do we have too much stuff? I remember never having to answer that question because when Lindsay and I first got married, we didn't have that much stuff. Like people were like, oh yeah, you're gonna accumulate furniture and all this stuff. I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. I had like a headboard and a mattress to my name and that's all I needed for my first year of marriage. Like I was like, this will be fine. Like we don't need other things. And, and so our biggest dilemma, like that first couple months when we were deciding to move from, I was in Canada at the time, Lindsay, New Jersey, and we were moving out to Detroit, Michigan to, to start our lives together. Our problem was not how big of a U-Haul can we get, but how small. Like we literally tried to go back and forth, like nah, maybe we could like crunch the mattress in half. Like those mattresses in a box had not been invented yet. So we had to put the whole thing like in the back of this U-Haul. And so we ended up with a semi-large one. I'll show you a picture of us. This is us about to move to Detroit back in 2014. And so all of our human possessions and furniture fit into that somehow, some way. Now let me fast forward to uh, 2017. We're about to pack up and move here. We need a little bit bigger of a U-Haul, but still not a ton. But the, the story behind that is we filled up that U-Haul literally to the brim. Like it's the kind of thing where if you just, you kind of open it cautiously because you know like stuff's about to fall out. Like it was stuff that full. And after we moved here and got settled in our apartment here in Byron Center, we had to drive back there a couple weeks later just to fit the rest of the stuff that didn't fit in the U-Haul into our thing. We clearly had had too much stuff. Now here's what we know when we're young and when we're innocent and when we're free of the worries of this world, we just don't tend to accumulate a lot of stuff. Now, here's what I know is true about our culture is that our lives are more full of stuff than ever, but also more empty than ever. Is that no matter how big of a house you buy, no matter how big of a, a minivan you can have, no matter how many storage units you can purchase or how many acres you live on, our lives are full of stuff. But if you got into the core of our soul, we are emptier people than we ever have been. Why is that? What does scripture have to say about that? Um, I think this is interesting. Uh, just look at house sizes and the way that we accumulate things. Now, there's a quick graph you'll see on the screen. 1983, the average house size was somewhere around 1,700 square feet. Fast forward to 2013, the average house size is now 2,600 square feet. And our, small, our families have actually gotten smaller and our houses have gotten bigger. And what that proves to me is that we just have too much stuff. 
We are not good at being simplifying people. We are not versed in how to pare down what we don't need so that we can live and use what we do need. And that's why we're talking about this whole month of February, Simplify. We wanna prep you for spring cleaning, all right? That's our goal for today. It's just to get your heart ready for what God might wanna do through your stuff. Now, it doesn't matter if you have a storage unit or not. You all know what it's like to purge a closet and then like six months later, like how the heck did this thing get full again? Like, that's not what I did. You got bags going to Goodwill and then somehow you keep having bags that keep going to Goodwill. Like our lives are just full of accumulation. Here's why I think that is. When you look at the world's equation of what brings happiness, what brings joy, what brings hope for a better life, it's ultimately this. Isolation plus accumulation equals hope. Now, let me unpack that for just a moment. If I isolate myself, if I get comfortable, if I'm secure, if my house has more space from other houses, like if I can just get out of the city, like all these things, if my apartment would have two bedrooms instead of one, it'd be better. If it had multiple bathrooms, it'd be better if it just had one. But all of us know what the feeling is, the draw to isolate, to separate, and to get away from the problems and the worries of the world. And so isolation, and then we add accumulation on top of it. So if I can get the toys I want, if I can get the yard I've always wanted, if I can get the pool or the new truck, then maybe I'll be happy. Then maybe I'll have real hope that my life is on the right trajectory, that I'm getting better as a human being. And I think there's some flawed thinking in that equation. I wanna pose this question to you today as we dive into the scriptures. What if you and I could find more in less? What if I could find more in less? Spiritually, even in my physical spaces, in my relationships, in my pursuit of Jesus, in my finances, what if I could actually find more in less. Luckily, Jesus has a lot to say about this. I mean, money and possessions is one of the things Jesus talked about more than any other thing. And I, I'm always curious about that. It's like, why would you spend so much time on something that I feel like I've kind of got figured out? And then I look at my life. I don't have it figured out. And I'm willing to bet you probably don't either. Now, in Matthew 6 is where we find the Sermon on the Mount. So you can go ahead, skip there, turn there, Google it, find it on your iPhone app or, or Android app, whatever you wanna do. And in Matthew 6, verse 19, we're hearing Jesus teach on the economy, the culture, the values of the kingdom of God. And this is what Matthew records Jesus saying in Matthew 6, 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moss and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moss and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I think Jesus in this passage is giving us a fresh and new perspective on the world's equation. So if the world's equation is isolation plus accumulation equals hope, equals a better life, equals happiness, equals a good and beautiful, true life. I think Jesus flips that and gives us this equation. In God's kingdom, it's a transformed heart plus transformed habits that ultimately will bring you and I hope. It's a different equation. It has nothing to do with where you live, what car you drive. It has nothing to do with the amount in your bank account or 401k. It has everything to do with a transformed heart and transformed habits that will lead you to hope. And so for the next few minutes, I just wanna walk through those three things. Heart, habits, 
and hope. And I wanna talk about how does that lead us to finding more and less. So let's start with heart. I mean, that's the place Jesus goes in verse 21. We read it. For where your treasure is, there your heart, your cardia, your very center of your will and your emotions and your soul, your heart, the seat of who you really are. In your heart, your treasure follows that. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Now, here's what I think we often mistake. And maybe you've been around church and you've heard this passage. Maybe you've heard a great teaching on this already. Or maybe for you, this is your very first time at the center and you've never heard about money from a platform. And you're curious, what do we think? Here's what I think that Jesus is getting at, at its core. And and what he wants to communicate in Matthew 6 is this. God only cares about your blank. So fill it in. Maybe it's your stuff or your money, or your relationships. God only cares about those things because ultimately what he wants is your heart. God only cares about your God only cares about your stuff because what he really wants is your heart. He's created you for a relationship that's with him. And not just a relationship that says, hey, when I die, things will get better. When I die, my life will somehow be transformed. I'll fly up into the heavens and everything will be okay for eternity. But a life that can be transformed right now. See, I don't know about you, I followed Jesus for a decade and I'm not content with living life for the future. I want a transformed life here and now. I want a different marriage here and now. I want a different view of my finances here and now. I want a different church, a different community, a different world in the here and now. I don't wanna wait on that. And I think Jesus, as he communicates this, he talks about our hearts and he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That transformed heart. The second thing is something, again, I I think we often miss, is Jesus actually addresses habits in this passage as well. Now look with me if you've got your Bibles in verse 19. One of the first things in this passage Jesus says is do not store up, invest, deposit, treasure up, like load up, like don't invest your treasures on earth where moss and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Now, when I read that, I'm like, we got security systems. Jesus, don't you know you can lock your door? (laughs) Like all these basic things. And maybe you've had your house broken into and that's an incredibly scary thing, but it's actually shockingly common in first century Israel for moth and vermin to destroy and for thieves to literally break through your clay baked walls and take what you have. Now there'd be this area in your house under the living room carpet, kind of a hole dug out in which the Jewish people would put their treasures. And over time, as that sits in a hole and it bakes and it's hot and it's gross, some of that would start to decay and erode and to rust or, or moss and vermin would kind of sneak in and mess with it and, and their treasures would slowly dilute. They'd disappear over time. So Jesus is not just saying, don't invest, don't store up, don't have good financial habits or good habits when it comes to possessions, but just put it in the right place. Let your heart be something that's transformed so that your habits can be transformed. That word store up, Jesus uses it two or three times just in the verses we read, all has to do with habits. You and I, when it comes to money, we, we have certain habits. It may be a Starbucks in the morning. It may be how much you invest percentage-wise in your 401k. It may be tithing and giving. It might be the clothes you buy. It may be the habit of, okay, I'm really sad and worried and anxious about life, and so I'm headed to the outlets just to see what will kind of grab me, and maybe that'll make me feel better. 
when it comes to our stuff, we have habits. Now, I quickly figured this out again when you're married or if you're living with roommates right now or you remember college life, you quickly pick up on habits of other people when it comes to their stuff. Now, for Lindsay and I, in my brain, as long as my side of the room is clear, I'm good. That could look like ground zero with clothes and everything else, and I don't care. Like, as long as my stuff is set to the side and it's clean and orderly, I'm good. Anybody else like that? Like, as long as my stuff is good in my office, I don't care what the rest of the cubicles look like. Like, I'm okay. Like, I can compartmentalize my life like that. But even more than that, habits reveal something about us. See, when it comes to our heart, and you may wanna write this down, that your heart can transform a moment, but your habits transform a lifetime. Your heart can transform a moment. You can have a deep, spiritual, rich experience, but your habits, who you are day in, day out, every couple hours, what you do, those are what make you or break you. Your heart can transform a moment, but your habits are gonna transform your life. It's gonna change your lifetime. And I really failed at this my first couple of years of marriage. Like going back to that relationship, like I was bad at this. And one of the things that happened was my first year of full-time ministry, I was serving as a worship pastor and I was incredibly stressed. I was really overwhelmed. And you're like, how do church people get stressed? Well, it does happen. Like you'd be shocked. But there are moments in which I feel overwhelmed by the weight of leading the church and all that. But when I was a worship pastor, I was stressed. It was getting close to Christmas time. And somehow an Xbox 360 emerged into my living room. <laughs> like, and I'm not a big gamer or like a super nerd when it comes to gaming, and, but I have respect for it. But for me, it was a total escape. And you have escapes. Maybe that's a, a news network or a book or social media. You've got escapes. They may just look different than mine. But mine, for that time, was an Xbox 360. And I'm really bad at it. So I didn't let anyone else play with me. I just sat there by myself and lost to the computer every single time. I'm sure that never happens to you either, but I, I continued to play it. And what I found was that I developed a habit. When I was stressed, when I was anxious, or I was worried about something, maybe it was as Christmas was approaching, all the pressure was on me to have a really good service and, and pull it off. And so I found myself not 30 minutes a day, not an hour a day, sometimes two, sometimes three hours a day. Lindsay would come home or we'd be together and I would play. Or she'd say, hey, do you wanna hang out? I'm like, yeah, yeah, but let me like finish this. And it's like an hour later, I finish it and then we go for a walk. Like it started to become a really negative habit. It was making me a worse leader. It was making me a worse husband and making me a worse person in general. And so what I had to do was change the habit. It had nothing to do with my heart, but my habits were what was transforming my life day after day. And so I had to list it on Facebook Marketplace and some willing mom was willing to buy it and she bought it and then disappeared. Somehow now we have another one in our house, but that has nothing to do with me. Like that's someone else's problem. Um, but what happened was my habits started to transform my life. I didn't think about it that way, but I had to sell it. I had to change the habit. I had, to, I had to break something. I had to break the pattern in my life so that my life would be different. You can't expect your life to be changed if you're not willing to change anything. And I wasn't willing to change anything. That was a long process. And it's like, man, are you really that hung up on like an Xbox? And for me, just like you, there's little quirky things in my life, little habits that were creating me into a person I did not wanna be. 
and I had to sell the Xbox. Now, I think about it when it comes to money as well. Some of you have a great relationship with money. Some of you have no idea what's in your bank account because it freaks you out. Like wherever you're at on the spectrum of money, money has a lot of habits associated with it. Now, it depends on how you grew up too. Some of you are savers and some of you are spenders. If you are a saver in the room, just throw your hand up so we can identify who the spenders need to get help from, okay? I'm a spender, anyone else a spender? Like as soon as you get 100 bucks, like, oh, I've already got this split up into four or five ways, I'm gonna spend it. Uh, your Amazon Prime list has always got saved for later. Like you're always ready to purchase as soon as that money comes in. So I'm a spender for sure, and Lindsay is the saver. But here's what I know. If, if you and I sat across from each other, let's just play this out. If we're sitting across at Starbucks and having a conversation about our money, and I asked you, I said, hey, I know God wants me to be generous and wants you to be generous. What do you think about giving $172,500 to the church today? You're like, wait, what? Uh, yeah, no, like <laughs> that is not gonna happen. $172,500, that's a good wad of cash. That's some good pocket change, if you will. Now, here's what that is. I get that number from the average median, uh, the average income of Byron Center, $69,000. Now, if you take 10% of that, it's $6,900. And you multiply that habit of giving 10% every year of your income to the church or to a charity or to a nonprofit, wherever you choose to give your money, 10% of that over 25 years is $172,500. What is that? That $6,900 is a habit. Tithing? is a habit. It's a habit that will make you, over time, an incredibly generous person. You're like, oh my goodness, I could never give that amount of money to a church. I could never give that amount of money to outreach or compassion or sponsoring kids or, or whatever your thing is. But the habit is what transforms your life. It makes you a generous person. That person can look back over the 25 years and say, I've changed. There's something different about me. And Liam mentioned texting to give or however you choose to do it, we direct deposit so that we automate that habit. Because if I had control over it, there'd be some months I'm like, eh, I don't know if I can give that away to this person or that thing or that charity. I don't know if I can do that. But as automating that has helped us to develop a habit because your habits will transform your life and that helps you find more in less. The third thing, we talked about heart, we talked about habits. I wanna talk about hope for a minute. Because hope at the end of the day is what we are all after. And you don't have to look very far in our world to see over the last year, we've lost some major kind of cultural influencers. Anthony Bourdain, all these different people. You can look at celebrities and movie stars and, and producers who are all in some hot water and some ended up committing suicide. Now that's very heavy, but suicide at its core is a loss of hope. Depression at its core is a loss of hope like stress, anxiety, worry, fear, talked about it last month, those things ultimately are a life that is void of hope. And as we sang earlier, and Leah even led us in thinking more deeply about it, we serve a God who is a living hope. We, we follow a God who, because we were so hopeless, loved us enough to step into our world, send Jesus as a baby, to watch him grow and be persecuted and harassed, eventually murdered, but raised him to life again. And now you and I, we have hope. We have unconditional, boundless hope. And ultimately that is what 
the gospel story is all about. When Jesus writes in, verse, in chapter six, verse 21 of Matthew, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. It's the place where your hope is gonna go. Your heart is gonna carry that hope forward. Where you put that treasure is gonna ultimately lead to where your hope ends up, where you find hope. And that's how you begin to find more in less. Now, again, there may be a whole bunch of different applications for you coming out of that passage of scripture. But what all of us can be aware of and sensitive to in this room, in this moment, is that we serve a God who is full of hope. And we don't have to fear. I love in Romans 5, 5, where Paul is writing about hope. And he says this phrase that, that I don't know if I always understood. He writes, and hope does not disappoint us. Let me say that one more time. Hope does not disappoint us like hope ever would, right? Like that doesn't even make sense to me at the onset. But he says, hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through Christ Jesus. Our hope does not disappoint us. Now the world's equation, isolation plus accumulation equals hope. Now that's conditional. There may be moments in which a bigger house and more square footage and, and a nicer yard and some privacy and then a bunch of the things you've always wanted to buy are all stuffed in your closets, but eventually that hope is gonna run out. That hope will disappoint you. But if you choose to live and pursue a transformed heart and transformed habits, you're gonna find hope that lasts for a lifetime. You're gonna, because they're directed they're, they're pointed at a person, they're pointed at Jesus, and he ultimately, as we sang, is our living hope. It's the place that we find true hope. Uh, I don't often get emotional when reading the news. I don't know if you do, I don't know if there's stuff that moves you so deeply. You can probably think about a thing right now in your life, an, an issue or a problem or a systemic injustice that when you think about it, it causes your stomach to turn in knots. Can you think about that for one second? What is that for you? And I was reading through the news a couple weeks ago, and this wasn't necessarily in my notes, but I felt like I needed to talk about it. I was reading through the news, and I saw New York State's law for passing full-term abortions, legalizing literally the murder of babies. Full-term, nine months, right in the womb. And I started to get really angry. I started to get angry. I started to burn with emotion in my stomach, and even talking about it right now, just made me feel nauseous and sick. And I think if, if abortion, this evil genocide of 60 million children over the last couple decades, as I think about that incredible evil, I think about how many moms go into that situation with no hope. And abortion, if it's anything, just like suicide, is when hope has run out. And literally the best option is to kill that child. Now, I'm not saying that fostering is wrong. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be for adoption. I'm actually uh, really pleased that so many of you have hearts of compassion for foster kids or taking kids into your home or adopting or some of you have been adopted and know the joy of that. I'm not saying that this is a, a political plea for one way or the other, but I'm just calling sin a sin. I'm just calling evil what it is and systemic injustice what it is. If abortion is anything, it's a systemic injustice that points to the problem that we as a society are desperate for hope. It's only found one place. And as we look for so many different things, maybe it's isolating or accumulating, they're not gonna cut it. And yet as you look at the cross, you see a living hope. You see someone who modeled a life of hope. 
You see someone who, when he looked at the injustice and brokenness of the world, he got angry too. His stomach turned in knots too. The word compassion in, in the Greek literally means your bowels turning in and out. Like it's a very romantic picture, right? But that's literally when, when Jesus was moved with compassion, you read that in the scriptures again and again. It's this deep-seated emotion that points to the problem of a hopeless world and, and something that's, someone that's willing to do a, something about it. And one thing I love is that as, as a church together, we're partnering in bringing hope. Now, whether that's hand-to-hand and every week making sure that 40 kids get food who would not have food, or it's partnering this year with Hope Unexpected, a ministry right here in our backyard, resourcing 20-plus moms. And this Christmas, you gave. You were incredibly generous, and you extended hope to these families. And we got to give over $1,100 to those moms and just say, happy Christmas. Enjoy this. Go buy some gifts. Have a little bit of hope. And Hope Unexpected, I love the name of the ministry because for so many moms and so many people in our world, hope is unexpected. And hope sometimes does disappoint. But we serve a God in which we can place infinite hope. That's why we do what we do. That's why Zero Lives Unchanged is our core. It's our calling card. That's why we exist as a church. It's to see that lived out in every sphere of our world. It's to see that hope extended. And even when it's unexpected. And so... If maybe for you it's heart, maybe you need a a transform heart. Maybe for you it's the habits thing. It's like, oh man, I've got some really bad habits. I need God to transform those. Or maybe you just need an injection of hope today. Wherever you are at, here's one thing you and I can start doing right now to turn the corner on this in our own lives. It's really, really simple. You start looking and start living and looking to find more and less. And here's one way you can do that this weekend. You can even start today if you want. The first step would just to be looking back over your life. Just take a week. Take the seven days you just lived, and maybe you already forgot what you did or, or what's going on in your life, but take those seven days and look at them and keep track of what you, or the next seven days, I should say. Sorry, rephrase that. Take the next seven days, keep track of what you spend and the stuff you buy. What you spend money on, now that may be bills, that may be new shoes, that may be a car payment, whatever it is. Just keep track of what you spend over the next week. Keep inventory of that. And we've actually created some tools as a church, as a team, for you to do that. And if you go to centergr.com slash simplify, you can find a couple apps for your, for your phone. You can find um, some bank resources and some financial resources. You can find some stuff to print out if you're a paper guy like I am. Like, you can do all of that, centergr.com slash simplify. But here's what I know. If you and I do not take the words of Jesus seriously in this passage, you and I will live lives that are, that are void, that are empty of hope. Because our lives are full of stuff and yet emptier than ever. And our world is crying out for people who have real hope. Our lives will look a lot more like Jesus's word in John 10, 10. I've come to give them life and life to the full. That's the kind of God that we serve, a God who brings freedom and his goodness to us. And so I wanna close in just praying over you, knowing that you may be in one of those three categories, like I need some work on my heart, I need some work on my habits, or I just need a fresh injection of hope today. And I wanna pray that over you as we step into a time of communion here in just a minute and to celebrate a God who came down to bring you and I hope and to find less and more. So I'd invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes just as we focus this morning on what God's doing. If you know for sure that you're in that heart category, 
You need a spiritual heart transplant. You need some new love. You need a transformed heart today. I wanna pray specifically for you. And so if you know that that is you, I'm gonna invite you real quick just to throw your hand up and put it right back down. You don't have to do anything weird, but if you know, yep, the heart, that's for me. Like, I need prayer for that. Just do that right now so I can pray for you. Amen, thank you. If you know it's an area of habits, that there's some, some patterns and, and behaviors and attitudes that, that God needs to help change. And maybe over these next couple of weeks, you just say, yeah, I'm gonna work on that or I'm gonna adjust that. But God, I need your help. I need your courage. I need your motivation in some ways to do that. If you know that habits for you is your thing, just slip your hand real, real quick. Awesome. And today, if you know that it's, it's hope, you've lost hope. You don't know if God's hope is gonna disappoint you like the world's hope has. And you just need a reminder of his grace and his hope in your life today. Maybe it's through a person or a text message or a scripture verse or a song, but you need some reminders this week of God's hope in your life. If you knew, if you know today that that's you, just slip up your hand real quick so I can pray specifically for you. Yeah, yep, thanks. So God, we come before you with humility come before you with hearts that are open, with minds and spirits and souls and, and just ourselves. And we want to be built on different things than the world is. We need your love and grace to transform us. And so God, I pray today for the people that say, I just need a fresh, a fresh move of your Holy Spirit in my heart. God, I pray you give that to them. I pray that hope would not disappoint them. That courage would help them to step out and to be bold, to live as if what you've said in your word is really true for them. And God, I pray too today for the person who's like, yep, yeah, it's in my habits. My habits are all out of whack. Maybe it's money or possessions or relationships or, or just the need to simplify their lives. God, I pray that you'd speak to them really clearly whether it's through the tools you provide, we provided or something else. God, I pray you'd help them to take a next step in that this week. God, I pray today for the person who needs your hope. I pray really boldly, Jesus, because I love you and I trust you, that you would today fill them with your hope, that there would be a supernatural tangible, real presence of hope in their life this week. That whether it's depression, that you would remove it, whether it's anxiety, you'd get rid of it and fill it with peace, whether it's shame or guilt or pain from their past. God, I pray that they would see the future and be able to experience your hope for them this week. We love you. We're so grateful for you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. I'm gonna invite you to stand together with, with us as we begin to respond, not to move on, not to rush the moment. And you've got stuff to do, I get it. Like it's the weekend, you've got plans, maybe you got lunch, like whatever. I don't want us to leave this moment without acknowledging that there really is only one source of our hope. And this meal, this communion meal, you don't need to be a member. You don't need to have documents signed. You don't need to have proof of conversion or whatever. Like you can just come and receive God's grace today. 
And so we'd invite you just because there's a bunch of us here like to filter out the center rows and then return from the sides. But more than that, that you and I together through this meal and through this moment of worship would experience a fresh moving of God and his hope in our lives. So church, as we sing, let's feel free to respond.